when you go to meet with a CEO or a management team and they're talking about one or two things and like, this is what we want to do. This is you know where we're focused. We're focused on safety or we're focused on service. And this is the mantra that everybody in the work knows. You know, we're, we're focused on the P&L. We're focused on one thing or another. If they repeat the same thing and then you hear that repeated throughout the organization, that is the idea of focus. When you go to meet with a management team, this is hmm. where they go wrong is when they say, hey, these are the 30 things that we're focused on to run the business better. Hey, we got a consultant that come in here and we've got a whole board of all of these initiatives that we're doing. You can't focus on 30 things. You can't focus on 20 things. You really can't focus on 10 things. This episode is brought to you by the good people over at Ascent, who enhance your business by keeping the global supply chain moving. They do it by moving faster, moving with precision, and moving all over the globe. Powered by its proprietary peak technology marketplace and backed by its own airline and dedicated truck fleet, Ascent expedites your shipments. Whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a small business, Ascent's logistics experts simplify your most complicated freight challenges. The world supply chain is always evolving and searching for stability in chaos. Now, ranked among the top 100 global 3PLs by inbound logistics, as well as the top 40 3PLs and top 20 freight brokerages in North America by transport topics, Ascent is your premier logistics partner. Learn how Ascent can solve your supply chain challenges by visiting ascentlogistics.com. That's A-S-C-E-N-T, logistics.com. Welcome back to Lead the Team with number one best-selling author and in-demand corporate trainer, Ben Fanning. On this podcast, the world's most innovative senior leaders share their top success strategies to motivate your direct reports, cultivate your top leaders, and accelerate your career. Let's get started. Here's Ben. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Lead the Team. I'm Dave Ross, who's the Chief Strategy Officer over Ascent Global Logistics, Executive Vice President at Roadrunner, and serves on the Board of Directors at Global Crossing Airlines, and also serves as, as advisor to Project 44. Prior to his current roles, Dave was Managing Director and Group Head of Stiefel Global Transportation and Logistics. During his 20 years, on the sell side, he had an analyst career. That's right. And we're going to dive into that. His awards include ranking number one in stock picking multiple times in the Wall Street Journal's best on street analyst survey and in Financial Times, Starmine, America's top analyst report. Yeah, pretty cool stuff there. He worked at Lake Mason, Railworks, and Deutsche Bank. And he also serves on the Ubuntu Council for the Charlie's Theron Africa Outreach Project and on the board of directors for the Fountainhead Residency and the Humane Society of Greater Miami. Holy smokes. Dave, welcome to Lead the Team, sir. Thanks, Ben. It's a pleasure to be here and congrats on the success of your podcast. Ah, Thank you very much. I love a good shout out. So yes, I am blushing. So look, looking at your LinkedIn profile, Yes, you're an executive and holy cow, you've done some interesting things, which we're going to dive into, but you have in there executive investor and artist. And the first thing I notice, y'all, when I get on the call with Dave or some incredible art behind him, what is the scoop on your art? So behind me is actually my own art. Uh, this is my art studio slash office when I'm here in Miami, when I'm not on the road up, up at Ascent mm -hmm. or, or somewhere else. Mm -hmm. uh, 
And yeah, this is a uh, you know a product. A lot of the pandemic, you know, started <laughs> pandemic painting. Yeah, when, when you weren't allowed to go a lot of places, I could huddle up in the art studio and actually create a little bit. So it was nice, and uh, it's been fun. And I've always been involved in the arts, and hmm. um, have a lot of artist friends, and have been a collector for a number of years. And you know, that Fountainhead residency they mentioned earlier is an artist residency here in Miami. Um, oh wow! It's a you know fantastic place to see new art and meet new artists and you really connect with a lot of good people. So, so how old were you when you got into painting? So painting is relatively new. Uh, when I was hmm. a kid, I used to draw pastel and charcoal, but then I got out of it for a while. Uh, and actually it was one of my artist friends here in Miami who got me into painting because he, you know, he invited me over to his okay. studio um, a number of years ago and said, Hey, I'll just set you up a blank canvas. You should give painting a try. And that was you know, the uh, really intro into my, my painting. Um, and so yeah, I, I see some really cool stuff. Y'all some beautiful paintings, uh, behind Dave here, you know, it, I just, is this, when you do painting and you do art, do you consider this as sort of expressing a side of you, you don't get to do at work or is it more like a stress relief or how are you leveraging, you know, the, this whole creative side of yourself, um, you know, and, and your life as an executive? It's a little bit all of the above, uh, you know, really. So it's, it's creative expressions. It's thinking differently. It's, it's disconnecting one part of the brain, connecting another mm. part of the brain. And, and um, you, know, you often find if you go back and forth between you know, the analytical piece, you know, looking at spreadsheets uh, and then looking at a blank canvas and, and you know, putting colors together, uh, you know, there, there is, you know, some creative elements mm. that happen in the, in the process, you know, in, in between going back and forth, those two things. And so it's actually helped, um, you know, looking at the business in, in different ways, even if it's not, easy to explain to people how that really works. <laughs> right. Thus is the creative artistic mind. You know, you're probably spending your day looking at spreadsheets. It's probably quite a relief and release to be able to use the other side of your brain. And I, th I think, you know, interestingly, so we're like on episode, we're like just released 115, 115 episodes. And you're the first artist executive we've had on a release that has have revealed that so forwardly about yourself <laughs> that's part of your routine and i think a lot of i think a lot of leaders could benefit from that you know we think about maybe exercise uh or meditation or taking a vacation you know those kinds of getaways spending time with your family but i think this is a missed opportunity for a lot of leaders is to sort of ex explore that more creative side it's a different kind of meditation yeah. Oh, nice. A different kind of meditation. All right. Well, fast forwarding here. What's it like being a number one stock picker? So that was more of the outcome of a lot of work. Um, hmm. you know, and, and it's nice to be recognized, but, but you know, the goal is not always to you know, win the stock picking award because you can't determine how the market moves or the wild swings you're going to have. But if, you know, if you understand what you're doing and you have a process, you're, going to be right more than you're wrong. And that's, that's really the goal of anybody that, that worries about predicting the future, which is a hard business to be in, in general. Um, you know, and, and from an industry analyst perspective, you know, really what I learned from John Larkin, who was my mentor hmm. uh, in, in the business and research, it was really get a strong grasp on how the business operates. And if you understand the fundamentals of the business, 
and you understand the competitive dynamics within the industry, and then you understand specifically uh, how the companies that succeed do what they do, hmm. over time, you will be able to see the disconnects in, in the stock prices and, and what the market is saying versus what's actually going on at the ground level. And, and, and I did a lot of ride-alongs over the years with truck drivers. I spent a lot of time uh, in logistics facilities all around the world, talk to shippers, talk to 3PLs, talk to LTL, truckload carriers, rail companies, et cetera. Um, And really it's that deep work and getting out of the spreadsheets and getting out of the financial filings, the 10 Qs and 10 Ks that a lot of Wall Street analysts get tied up in Mm. and really getting to the front lines and seeing what differentiates the businesses from a ground level, not only in how the operations look, but how they feel. And that's, and that gets into culture and in, you know, what separates one company from another is you know, how they do things day to day, how they do the little things. And, you know, when you meet people mm. from that company in different offices, are, are they all saying the same thing? Do they all, you know, have an idea of the direction the boat's moving in? Um, you know, and, and do they look like a team or do they look more disjointed and, and like a bunch of one-offs. Yeah, I hope that's really hitting home with the leaders listening today. Uh, you you can lead from a spreadsheet. You can lead from a uh, you know from the numbers. But what you're proposing, Dave, is rounding it out with something different. I mean, I don't know how many Wall Street analysts have done ride-alongs with a truck driver, but you can probably count them on one hand, <laughs> right? And uh, what what's the mistake that you see leaders making when they um, you know when when they're going about leading and maybe missing some of that? Yeah, so there's a there's a long list, and I'll try to try to focus it in. <laughs> there's a long list. And, 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 Take and us down can, at least the top ones. Yeah, and you can ask follow up questions wherever you want to. But you know where we saw companies underperform their potential is one way I'll put it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like it. I like it's, that. It's when the management team had a clear lack of focus. So when you go to meet with a CEO or a management team and they're talking about one or two things and like, this is what we want to do. This is hmm. you know where we're focused. We're focused on safety or we're focused on service. And this is the mantra that everybody in the work knows. You know, we're, we're focused on the PL, we're focused on one mm-hmm. thing or another. If they repeat the same thing and then you hear that repeated throughout the organization, that is the idea of focus. When you go to meet with a management team, this is hmm. where they go wrong is when they say, hey, these are the 30 things that we're focused on to run the business better. Hey, we got a consultant that come in here and we've got a whole board of all of these initiatives that we're doing. You can't focus on 30 things. You can't focus on 20 things. You really can't focus on 10 things. And so hmm. some leaders think that by doing more, they're going to get better results. But actually, it's by focusing more on fewer things that is really what drives the results. And, and let the people on your team focus on all of those things that are under those. But as a, as a leader, because one of the sayings that I really like, John McGee, um, who's a, an executive that I respect a lot, um, he once told me that leadership drives culture and culture drives results. And that stuck with me. And I, I have seen that play out because if the leader is not focused and the culture is not focused and if the culture is not focused, you can't actually get results in, or, or the results you get are not what you intend. But if the leader is focused and the culture is focused, then they're focused on a specific result. 
and that result's going to get done. So uh, I don't know how specific you can be. So when's the time you went into a company and you just knew there's not the focus or that that's going to drive culture and success? I can give plenty of examples. Um, So the, the one that comes to mind immediately is Conway. And Conway got sold to XPO a number of years ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and Conway, if you rewind 20 years, was a best-in-class LTL carrier. Yeah. Less than Super high-end, right? They high are, service, high margin. High premium. Yes. Mm-hmm. People in the business wanted to emulate Conway. Um, they had a leadership change. And in that leadership change, you know, the new leader got enamored by you know, like I, uh, like I said, that there's 30 things that they could be doing. And, mm-hmm. and you know, they, they talked a lot about the conference calls about their lean strategy and they wanted to be lean and we're going to be lean. Um, and I remember one of the notes I wrote about the company was that lean is fat, um, you know, because they, you know, being so focused on, we're doing all these lean initiatives. And again, you walked into their headquarters in Ann Arbor and, and I sat down with the CEO and the CFO at the time and you look at the board behind them and they had 27 different pages up like these are all the things that we've got going on they're working on but there was never a you know a consistent message at the top and there was never a clear uh, understanding of of where they wanted to go and their margins underperformed their peers and their uh, returns their stock price underperformed their peers for about a decade you know until XPO bought them um you know because uh, it, it, it really was a a clear lack of focus that ultimately destroyed the culture that used to be very strong and destroyed the margins that used wow. to be very healthy. So this is a great call for leaders too. I love this, is, is this idea of focus. And one of the things you said was when it comes to focus, you're looking for how many things are on the priority board. And I mean, I can tell you, uh, myself included sometimes, there we start working on so many different things. We're not accomplishing the one big thing. And I think we know that intuitively, but what I, what I, one of the things that's really waking up for me and listening is like, okay, how do we know? How do we know when we see this? And if you walk in to your team's office and you look at their whiteboard and they've got 10 things on there, or maybe they have 10 things, but it's not abundantly clear what the big thing is that's driving everything, you're in the danger zone, it sounds like. Or if you have a company um, that has multiple offices and, and service centers mm-hmm. or locations, if you go into the Atlanta office, you go to the Dallas office, you go to the Seattle office. If you ask the person who runs those offices or even ask somebody on the, the floor of the front lines, what is the most important thing, you know, that you need to do or, or where, you know, where is the company focused right now? You should get a consistent answer. If you don't get a consistent answer, then the message has not been clearly delivered from the top on down through the ranks. And, and, and ultimately, wow. that is on the leadership to make sure that that message gets that- through. That that idea is why I love doing this podcast. It's just such a practical idea. Go ask your team members, right? Go ask your, your every team members individually, what's the biggest focus for our team and what's their biggest focus? And if they are, all aren't saying the same thing and they can't attach what they're working to to that, don't probably have a very focused team. And, and tied to focus is identity. Because hmm. if you know who you are, then you know where to focus. You know what you can do and you know what you yeah. can get better. And so um, in going into other companies, when I go around and I ask at all levels of the organization, what does company ABC do? You know, so if, if, if you had a company fanning and associates, right? Like, okay, who is fanning? 
Like, what does fanning do? And, and if I get different answers in LA and New York and mm-hmm. Chicago, there, there's, there's something missing there. And that means that there's going to be you know, a gap in the processes that does not allow for those results, right? You know, leadership drives yes. culture, culture drives results. You know, leadership needs to communicate the culture and the culture needs to be coherent. So everybody on the team is rowing in the same direction. If they're not rowing in the same direction, you're not going to go as fast. You're not going to get to where you want to go. Yeah. Full focus. So what's your advice for leaders? You're like, yeah, that must be nice uh, to be so focused on one thing, but we've got, we've got 40 things going on and I ain't got time to figure out. I mean, I don't even know where to start with that. What's your advice for first up? for say a leader who just got overwhelmed with stuff. And now they've got someone who's the number one stock picker telling them that <laughs> they are in trouble. So Where should they that, start? Yeah. Part of that's the team. Mm. Um, as, as a leader, everything is not on you. Um, mm. You don't have to, the company can have 40 different things that they do need to work on at different levels. Yep. Yep. As a leader, you don't need to worry about those 40 things and you certainly don't need to be spending your time on them, but you do have to have the right people in place that can figure it out. So if you're number two or number three person, you know, has a focus of a few of those and then, you know, one or two of his or her direct reports, um, you know, has a few more. I mean, that, that's ultimately how it gets done. But, but hmm. you know, as a leader, the closer you get to the top, the more important it is for the overall driving message um, in terms of, you know, the what everything below is more the how, um, you know, and, and, and so the, the, the message is crafted at the top and you basically need to make sure that, again, it's kind of like a game of telephone in a way, uh, and communication ultimately <laughs> very, great example. Yep. It is very important because you might be telling your COO, you know, the three things that you're going to be judging him on and that are the most important, um, you have to one, make sure he understands that. And then mm-hmm. also as he's communicating to his direct reports and he might have a couple layers below him um, in order for, for him to be successful, he has to make sure the people on the front line understand. So, so kind of, if you go up and down the chain of command, so to speak, there's gotta be a level of continuity. And that's, that's where, you know, it's a challenge in all organizations. It's a challenge for us. It's a challenge for everybody. Um, but, but it, it's critical that, you smooth out whatever resistance or whatever static is in that chain from, from, you know, mm-hmm. front lines back, you know, to, to, um, you know, the boardroom. Yeah. Wow. I mean, it's, it's so cool for leaders to get to hear from a wall, a, a former wall street analyst who's now in the C-suite because you've seen it play out on an analytics basis, from analytical side, and now you're driving your own organizations. And so, uh, when's the time that, uh, you moved into an organization or a team and had to really write the focus of the team or, or organization. So, you know, in, in, in you know, I, I would say in both companies that I'm currently involved with, both, both Ascent and, and over at Roadrunner, um, you know, it, it was that unification around a single theme that was not there, you know, and so, so, you know, Roadrunner had a, we don't need to get into the, the history, although, you know, that's all another podcast, but, but Roadrunner was um, a company that went public in 2010 and had a lot of problems mm-hmm. through yep. the years. It was essentially a, um, a roll-up that, that was poorly managed. And I was actively critical in my research about what the <laughs> management team at the time was doing and, and, and how I didn't think it was the right strategy. <laughs> so, so you were an analyst criticizing them from Wall Street. 
And they're like, okay, Mr. Hotshot, now you come become an executive over here. <laughs> fix it. Yeah. So, so, so the management team oh that messed everything up is long gone, but, but the folks that came in and really started to repair the business and, and, and fix the business and um, very happy to say that our service levels have never been better. Um, oh, congratulations. At, at Roadrunner and uh, the operations team is, is doing a lot of good work. Mm-hmm. Some of that was, um, you know, up, you know, upgrading the talent or, or changing the people that were there to make sure that the right people were in the right places to do the job. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, giving other people opportunities to step up because there's a lot of good people we had within the organization that were uh, not being fully utilized to their potential. And now they're in the place to uh, participate uh, in the growth and evolution of the company and, uh, you know, put them in leadership roles so that they can succeed. Um, You know, but a lot of it was around, you know, just the unifying message and making sure everybody knew Mm -hmm. who we were and who we weren't because, you know, in Roadrunner specifically, because the company started off as an LTL carrier, um, you know, over 30 mm-hmm. years ago, and then through acquisition, got into all these other businesses, a lot of people at the company didn't know really who they were. Are they a logistics company? God, okay. Are they this or are they, they that? They became unfocused in that. And Correct. And, and so part, part, yeah. And so mm-hmm. part of the, um, you know, improvement there and, and really the rebirth of the company is as a focused LTL organization. So Roadrunner, as you see it today, is only LTL. And, and, you know, we're a focused LTL carrier, even more so than they were just, we were just a couple of years ago with uh, an upgraded network and improved service profile. Um, and, and really that's our competitive advantage is that we now know who, you, who we are and who we're not, and we're able to focus on mm-hmm. delivering for our customers and then ultimately growing uh, to do more for more customers. On the Ascent side, you know, because Ascent was spun out of Roadrunner almost exactly two years ago, Ascent's a separate private company. It's a 3PL we're going to be close to three billion in gross revenue this year. Uh, it's really well because you were one and a half, as yes. I remember, and now yeah. you in, in a year you're at three. Yeah, it's wow. it's been it's been a phenomenal <laughs> growth story, and 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 that has been really putting Ascent together under one company because you know Ascent was a few businesses that were under the Roadrunner umbrella that were spun out you know mm-hmm. as one unit because the the services that we have at Ascent all fit together. You know we've we've got uh, you know the, the premier expedited solution air and ground in North America, do a lot of US-Mexico business. Uh, so we're the, the largest player in the expedited market, uh, but we also have a very strong international freight forwarding, air and ocean freight business. That's about a half a billion dollar business. Um, and we've got a, a, a significant truck brokerage business, both truckload and LTL, including managed transportation. Uh, that's another 400 million or so in there. And um, and really it's, it's taking all of those companies and and having them talk to each other. And, and mm. we, we we had legacy operations where we provided excellent service for customers, but only in one area uh, for mm. a number of years. And they didn't mm-hmm. even know necessarily um, who Ascent was or what Ascent did, because Ascent is also a fairly new name. So we went through a rebranding exercise back in December with Ascent. And so we got the new logo. Um, and, and really that the idea there was to bring everybody together to eliminate the silos, you know, rather mm-hmm. than like, oh, I work on the expedited business or I work on the freight forwarding business or you know, I work on the brokerage business. It's like, no, no, we all work for a set. You know, it's not like if you go to Nike, you know, it's not like, oh, I yeah. work in footwear and I work in, you know, apparel. Breaking down the silos, breaking down the, the, the communication barriers. Yeah. Uh, and, and that's really yeah. been helpful, not only for us as an organization, but also for our customers because, you know, customers oh have been gosh. getting educated the yeah. past seven, eight months about, what we do and because they liked what we did for them, um, 
and have been doing for them for a number of years. They're giving us opportunities in other areas. And, and because yeah, our team it, internally is talking, the people externally benefit from it because they also can go across the service lines. Yeah. And that's no small task. So a little inside baseball for the listeners, the logistics industry to a lot of people is just like, okay, it's logistics and moving stuff, but there's a different culture, trucking culture versus LTL culture versus parcel versus air freight. Like the, just the mentality of the industries in general, ocean, right? Different. And so it's no small task in a company to get warehousing, right? Different mindset, different people from different backgrounds at each little breakdown, they kind of perceive themselves as different. And um, it's no small task to be able to get those groups from those industries that are serving them to lower the lower the communication barriers and, and work together under one company logo. And I think that's why it's so darn challenging for a lot of logistic companies. To be yeah. And, and, and Ascent has fantastic people. And we don't want everybody be, to be the same because there is a different mindset as you mentioned, in you know, truck brokerage versus air charter. Um, and we want- Yeah, completely know, different. We want one to- One people's hair is on fire, one they're not, but they're good to current about more, maybe more about safety or about you know time on the road, just different type stuff. Correct, but but but, but behind the day-to-day ops, we need the culture mm-hmm. to, to work together. And then yeah. um, we've we've really been growing our sales organization on top of that to, to, to be the overlay to- um, you know, put it together for the customers. Which is another different mentality too, right? Salespeople having to learn different parts of the business. You get somebody that's been doing ocean or air, and now they've got to learn the trucking side. It's like a completely different deal. Want to boost your productivity and decision-making? Get vital insights from each episode delivered directly to your inbox. A great resource, whether you've listened to the episode or not. Go to benfanning.com slash insight. Coming back to your idea of focus, what is your favorite focusing strategy? So, so let's say you go and you've got 30 things you could do. Uh, maybe it also goes back to priorities. What, what's your favorite way to tackle that personally? So it, it depends a little bit on what the context is and when you when you go in. Um, you know, there, there's a couple ways you can look at that. You know, one, I would say, what's the biggest goal? Um, and then you line everything up next to the goal. You know, so if mm-hmm. we want to do X in a few years, um, what do we not get there without doing? So that's <laughs> well, yeah, okay, good. So, 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 so that certainly uh-huh. becomes a priority. And and the other aspect of it is uh, the risk mitigation. So if you look at your business mm-hmm. and you say, okay, if I'm going to hit this goal in three years, what's the biggest risk to that not happening? Um, you know, for example, mm-hmm. if it's a trucking company or an airline, it might be drivers or pilots. So, okay, how, how do we make sure that that is not a risk and we address that so that that's something that's mm. continuously a focus mm-hmm. in terms of having enough enough people to seat the trucks? Because if you have 5,000 trucks, but you have 4,000 drivers, that's not a good thing. You know? mm-hmm. and, and, and so as you, especially in growth scenarios, you want to make sure that if you're going to be growing you know, that the building blocks are in place to grow, whether it's on an IT side, because some of it might be how robust is your IT to scale. Mm -hmm. Um, If you're going to do this much volume or these many transactions, can your systems handle it? And then, um, you know, two, can you execute on it? And what do you need to execute on? Is it it people? Is it equipment? Is it facilities? Uh, So that you don't run into bottlenecks because, you know, at the end of the day, Mm -hmm. our business is a service business. And if, if the truck doesn't 
and pick up the freight on time, then you don't have a business. Uh, you know, if the, air, if the airplane can't fly, you don't have a business. Yeah, that's interesting. Interesting. So the first one you said about getting your goals, it almost sounded like sort of a, a different way to think about the 80-20 rule. Sort of like, what are the things we need to do to generate the goal that we're going to get and contribute the most to that? The second one about risk mitigation is kind of interesting too. And it's almost it almost sounds like sort of creating, the, what do we need to do to create the environment for our company to grow? So we need the drivers, we need the resources. And, and you don't necessarily know exactly how it's all going to come together, but you know what the environment needs to be to re- reduce your risk and uh, to get from point A to point B. Yeah, volatility is not necessarily bad and it can actually be your friend um, because volatility has two ends. Mm -hmm. There's the upside volatility and the downside volatility. If you protect, it gets a part of this focusing strategy and when you think about prioritization, you want to do what you can to minimize the downside volatility while still protecting and allowing for the upside volatility. So you take kind of Nassim Taleb and his anti-fragile premise, which I, it's a great book. I, I love all of Taleb's books, but, but what, what is it again? Um, anti-fragile. Anti-fragile. Oh, yeah. okay. so it's, it's Nassim Nicholas Taleb. And this idea of anti-fragility is something um, he came up with because, you know, when you think about fragility, you think about something that can break easily, correct? Yes. And then people yep. say, or historically you'd say, oh, what's the opposite of fragile? the answer that you typically get is robust or um, sturdy or or stable, but that's actually not the opposite of fragile. Hmm. So, you know, because the opposite of fragile is something that when exposed to extreme events or certain things gets better, you know, because the idea of robust is, is I can withstand a hit and that's important, but, Hmm. but he talks about, you know, and that's why he came up with the concept anti-fragile because there really wasn't a word for things that benefit from disorder. So if you think about, okay, if you're going to go into a chaotic situation, if you're going to go into a recession, um, what's fragile, what breaks? Okay. Those are problem areas. And then historically people think about, okay, what, what things are robust? So what, who's not going to get hurt in a downturn, but you take it the next step and who gets helped in downturn? You know, what businesses thrive from chaos, which businesses thrive from disorder. So just as you're thinking about the business, you think about the upside and downside cases. If you can, and there's always black swans, there's always things that you don't know, you don't know. But what you want to do is based on what you do know or can think about, you know, Mm -hmm. if you can protect against the downside, uh, but still allow for your, your business to benefit from upside. Okay. So I like this, but it, it may be a little bit of a new concept for a lot of our listeners. So they can obviously get rid of anti-fragile, which sounds pretty cool. I'm going to check it out. And I, and I have heard of this book, but I haven't, I haven't checked it out yet. Uh, what's your recommendation for, for a first step for a leader who's like, okay, anti-fragile, thinking about my own business, maybe a question they should start with or an action they should take? So the, the, the two questions are really best case and worst case. You can, you can kind of mm-hmm. make, it, make it that simple, you know, and, 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 and you can get as wild or as crazy as you want in, in terms of coming up with them. 
Um, but you know, what is the disaster scenario? What does that look like? Uh, and then, you know, some of those things in the disaster scenario, you may say, I can't do anything about it. That's outside of my control. But, but what you want to do, the, the important things to pick up from a disaster scenario is what is in your control? What, what can you manage or manage better? You know, and then in, I like that. And then in best case, it's kind of, okay, in managing for that downside, am I somehow limiting any of this upside? Um, mm. is, there, mm-hmm. you know, is there a way of being too fear-based or too focused on the downside so that I limit my upside? Um, yeah, I, I, there's a little stress reduction technique I use in some, <laughs> some of my class and training. And it's called the doomsday scenario planner. Or like you're at a junction of making a big decision for your company or for yourself, maybe you'd invest in a property for yourself or a stock or, or to lead your company a certain in a new direction, and then just list out all the possible things that could possibly that could possibly happen, you know. And of course, uh, I can remember we were about to make a uh, an investment, and uh, it was 2019, and we thought through everything except for a global pandemic. But fortunately, a lot of the responses, and this is kind of contingency planning, did help us sort of respond in that situation. <laughs> but yeah, I think a black it's a black swan. But then on the but on the flip side, if we'd thought about it from an opportunistic standpoint, maybe we would have been more prepared. But actually, this specific podcast came out of the pandemic simply because we were I wasn't traveling as much. Yeah, just, like the, just like the Sark Studio. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So, all right, just a couple more questions here. Um, once a time you had an unexpected twist or failure in your career, how did it lead to your success or growth on down the road? So, I mean, as a, as a, I guess, as an analyst, um, you get things wrong a lot. Again, any time <laughs> you're, any, you're predicting okay. the future, yeah. Uh, things don't unfold the way that that you expected them to, and so uh, over the years, while I had a lot of good stock calls, I also you know had a lot of poor stock calls that I learned from. And, and really, it's mm. going back and analyzing you know what went wrong, what did I miss, what did I not fully understand. Some of it was not having lived through enough cycles. Some of it just comes with age, right? Where it's just you know I was a young analyst and I'd only seen one or two cycles, so I thought they all looked like that. Um, you know, but it, it forced me to, uh, you know, take a longer historical time horizon look, um, when analyzing the possibilities going forward, you know, in terms of, and it ties back a little bit to what we were talking about with upside downside. You know, if you only think that, you know, the last recession is the downside scenario, well, that's, that's not accurate. You know, there's, there's different, um, magnitudes of, of growth, different magnitudes of recession, you know, they, they, they go up, you know, the economy goes up and down, the freight cycle goes up and down, but, you know, they have different shapes and, uh, you know, diff, diff, different magnitudes. Uh, mm-hmm. it's, it's important to understand the range and, and how that might play out and the factors that go into each, um, you know, and then other things, you know, specifically with M&A, mm-hmm. a lot of companies mm-hmm. over the years, you know, did M&A and, and, you know, you learn really quick not to trust management's estimates of you know, so-called synergies um, or, 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 or what's expected. Huh. So, uh-huh. so it, it, a lot of it just comes from experience, you know, and, and, and adding things into your you know, bucket of what to look at. 
And, and mm. as a leader, you know, presumably you're, you're a leader because you've been around the business or your field long enough to see multiple cycles, to see a lot of things go wrong. And so you have a, you know, maybe a bigger perspective than, than a lot of people, but you want to make sure that everybody else in your team is sharing you know, with you their perspectives so that you, you really have a, a full picture of, of things that are going on. And it's not just um, limited to your own experience. Love it. So wrapping this up, big question now. People that need to buy art for, or they were thinking about buying art for their home office or for their office at work, where should they start? Um, start with art that you can see in person. Uh, art has an intrinsic draw to it that, that you can't mm. get from looking at a PDF or looking at somebody's website. Um, I always tell people that art is subjective. What, what I like is not necessarily what you're going to like is not necessarily what he's going to like, or she's going to like, um, and art is very personal. Never, never buy something that somebody else tells you is good just because they told you it's good or because they tell you it's going to go up in price. Um, when you put art on your wall, it becomes part of you. And um, it's very important that it reflects your energy and it's supportive of, of your personality, uh, your aspirations and, and everything that you want. Um, and so you can find local galleries in your town, you know, go out and see them. There's art events, there's fairs. Um, those are all great places to go and, and, and find good art for, for, for the home. But it's, it's something that uh, should generally be instinctual. There's no right or wrong answer. You just have to love it. Oh, I love that. Good advice. People were like, well, I'm, I think this piece looks sort of corporate or they're buying for someone else. And it, I like how you're putting it in a very personal lens and buying it in person makes a difference. We've bought uh, some art our, ourselves, some paintings, and they've a lot of times they've been from art events. So a couple of them have been from galleries, but they've been from you know different events. And yeah, just feeling like having but someone say, Well, why did you buy that? Like kind of like the texture of the colors, but sometimes it's hard to hard to put it into words. And sometimes it's a memory too. Like I, I got art from all over the world. So it's a thing I do when I visit different cities. I'll go into a gallery. Oh, cool. Mm -hmm. um, so whether it's in London or Sydney or you know even some, something like San Diego and La Jolla, um, you know, that becomes part of your living space and it becomes a story that you can tell. Um, I so love it. When somebody asks you about the piece of art, you can say, oh, I got that in Charleston when I went to visit my friend Ben and yeah. we went out to this great restaurant. Um, yeah, something that introduces a great yeah. memory, a story that you want to tell. The yep. key is to make sure it's a positive story that you do want to tell. Because some of you might keep asking, you're like, oh my God, to tell that story again. It makes me so sad. That's <laughs> yeah. like a happy memory. Well, uh, Dave, thanks for coming on today. Appreciate your time. Um, I love the I love the focus on focus today. I think this interview really hit it out of the ballpark on that topic. Any any parting thoughts here for the listeners? No, I appreciate it, Ben. I uh, I recommend everybody else go out and get a bow tie because you never know when you're going to need them. <laughs> there you go. Thanks, Dave. Thank you. If you're an executive at a crossroads in your career and thinking about quitting. Do this before you do anything else. Head over to benfanning.com slash quit to receive a free signed copy of my number one best-selling book, The Quit Alternative, The Blueprint for Creating the Job You Love Without Quitting. You'll learn the critical questions you must answer before you make such an impactful decision. 
Go to benfanning.com slash quip to get this valuable resource for just the cost of shipping. Ben Fanning is a number one best-selling author, Inc. Magazine columnist, and CEO of the Fanning Group, an international consultancy and corporate training company. To learn how they can help your organization, go to benfanning.com.